0: We're excited, Uh, hopefully you'll be excited too, as we turn a corner back into our study in the Gospel of John, the series that we uh, put on pause when we started our Advent with Friends series over the holidays. Uh, Shandis is going to come and she's going to read our primary passage for us as Pastor Aaron gets ready to come and lead us through that. This is the Word of God. After the two days he departed for Galilee... In all his household, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee.
1: Good morning, Sound City. How are we doing? Are you guys good? That was tepid. It's sunny out. You guys doing good? Oh, you're just bummed that the Seahawks don't have a game this afternoon. That's what it is. All right. Hey, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm also one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. Really glad to have you. And I'm really excited to jump back into the Gospel of John. As Pastor Shane mentioned a minute ago, uh, we took a break during December to focus on the Advent themes. And we're going to be, for the majority of this year, in the Gospel of John, uh, even into 2019 a little bit. We'll take some breaks here or there, but uh, we just like to take a good long time, go line by line, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And if you're new, you should know we have a a high respect, a high admiration for the word of God. And the word of God, the the scriptures uh, claim to be a living and an active book. That God actually wants to meet with us and God actually wants to do something. God even in some ways wants to mess with us here today as we read these words, as we study these words. And so my prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me, that God would meet with us and God would challenge us, God would shape us, God would grow us as we open this book today and as we study these words that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to meet with us here today. So would you pray with me? And uh, you can pray for me. I'll pray for us our time together and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the word of God that uh, is our source of truth and our source of life and our source of correction and our source of training so that we can know Jesus and be close to Jesus. And God, as we uh, open up this story today, this, this important passage, this interesting story, God, we ask that you would give us soft and teachable hearts, and in, in particular, God, I ask that you would help our hearts to trust in Jesus, that our hearts would have faith, would have belief in Jesus. For myself, God, I ask that you would guard my lips and help me to only teach that which is in line with your truth from your word, and may each and every single one of us be shaped and be grown and be changed as a result of our time uh, here together this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. Let me ask you a question. Why do you believe what you believe? Now, I'm asking that question rhetorically. You don't need to shout out your answers here, but when it comes to faith or religion or when it comes to Politics, or when it comes to healthy eating, nutrition, exercise, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to your job and and why you do things a certain way and not another, why do you believe what you believe? How is it that you believe one thing and somebody else that you know and love and maybe even respect or admire believes something different? Anybody know somebody that you actually love and respect that believes something different than you? Why do you believe what you believe? Now, there are different sources of truth, different things that we look to that help inform our beliefs. And I'll highlight these. The the first one uh, that most of you would love to say that you lean on most heavily is your intellect. Why do I believe what I believe? Well, because I'm a smart person and I thought about it. And if those dummies would just put their heads in the game and think about it too, they would believe what I believe. The problem is we live in an age, we live in an era, we we come out of the the age of the enlightenment, the the age of rationalism, where the intellect has been in many ways deified. The intellect is God. I believe it because it's logical and rational and reasonable, but there are some things that we just cannot know purely on intellect. Amen? Even, Even something as simple as beauty... Why is there beauty? Why is a sunset beautiful or a sunrise beautiful? Why is a piece of music beautiful? The moment that people start talking about why a certain, you know, concerto is beautiful in, in like purely logical terms is the moment that I tap out because you end up stretching it pretty far. There's some things that we need other sources of, of truth and other sources of belief. So the intellect is good, but it's, it's limited. Another thing that we lean on that, that informs our belief is our emotion, Now, some of you, uh, (laughs) some of you are suspicious of emotions. That is also a product of coming out of the age of enlightenment, where emotions were looked at as suspect. I remember hearing a stand-up comic one time talking about how he would get into an argument with his girlfriend, and he said he would lose every single argument with his girlfriend because she would say what she said, she would say what she believed, and then she would conclude it with, that's just how I feel and he couldn't win any argument, because what are you supposed to say to that? Like, well, no, you don't feel it. Yes, I do. That's how I feel, and therefore I'm right. Like, okay, that's a bad use of emotion, but emotion can be very helpful. It can help drive us towards things that are true. Uh, Emotions should not be denigrated. Emotions can be manipulated, right? Have you ever cried at a movie? I was fake, okay? I cried at a movie uh, for the first time in a while. I cried at a kid's movie about three weeks ago, and I was like, wow. Oh, I just had my emotions manipulated. I got to remember that for a sermon, right? Our emotions can be manipulated, but they can also lead us towards things that are true. And, and, and we're to worship the Lord with our heart and with our mind. Another source of belief is our influences, this could be cultural influences, the town you grew up in, your, your ethnic heritage, uh, the family that you were raised with. People say things, well, why do I believe what I believe? Because my mama raised me this way. Or the church that I grew up in always taught X, Y, or Z. We, we have influences that, that, that shape us and, and give us beliefs. The problem with influences is that they can themselves be wrong. You know, some people are raised in the home to be racist, I know some people who were raised in literal cult groups that taught just crazy things about God, about humanity, about the world. So our influences, they can be really good, but they can also be harmful. But I think sometimes we forget just how much our influences have shaped us. Why do you believe what you believe about politics? Well, because either you were raised in a home that taught one thing and you adopted it, or you were raised in a home that taught one thing and you rebelled against it. Just reactionary, ping-ponging around. And the fourth thing that we lean on for our source of truth is our experience. Why do I believe what I believe? Well, because I've experienced it. Why do I believe something and not something else? Because I've seen it, right? I don't don't want to offend anybody here, but most people don't believe in UFOs or aliens, but I have talked to a couple of people who claim to have seen UFOs and believe in aliens, and you can't talk them out of it because why? Well, they experienced it sorry if I offended you, uh, any X-Files people in here, right? But most people don't believe in it, but when you've talked to somebody, they're just convinced that they believe it, it's, it's true to them because they experienced it. Now, if you're a, a Christian, good Bible-believing Christian, you're looking at this, this list, this quadrilateral of truth, uh, as it were, if you're thinking that, good job, nerds, uh, that's fine, but We're missing something, are we not? There's there's a big category for us as Christians, for us as believers, that we're missing. What, What would we say? Faith, yes, and even more specifically, revelation from God. There are some things that we simply cannot know just based on intellect or influence or experience or emotion. We cannot know certain things if God does not reveal them to us. Revelation. First of all, we need to know that God is a communicating God. God is the type of God who delights in self-disclosure. God delights in making himself known. But we also have to remember that there are things we could not know specifically about God if he did not reveal them to us. We would not know, for example, that God was one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-existent, equal, but yet distinct. We would not know that because it's beyond just what logic would lead us to. The the doctrine of the Trinity is very difficult because it it stretches us past the bounds of where rational thought can go. St. Augustine, an ancient church father said, if you talk too much about the Trinity, you are in danger of either losing your salvation or losing your mind. We would not know, also, I would submit to you, we would not know that salvation is by grace through faith if it was not revealed to us by God, because we are all in our sinful nature, we are all prone to a works-based righteousness where we want to dig deep. We want to put out efforts. We want to climb the ladder. We want to get to God. We want to impress God. We want to earn our salvation. Meanwhile, revelation from God comes in and says, your salvation is by grace alone. It's nothing that you could do. It's nothing that you could earn. You cannot work hard enough to impress God. You cannot work hard enough to please God. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross as The substitute for your sin to take your punishment and to rise again on the third day to give you new life. How good is that? That's the gospel. That's the heart of what we believe. You can't get there apart from revelation from God. God is a revealing God. He spoke through the prophets, which is where we get the scripture from. And in the ultimate sense, he speaks through his son, Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, diverse manners... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Now, why do I ask this question? Why do I belabor this point about belief and about faith and about truth and about the sources that we draw from? Why do I ask that question? Well, two reasons. First of all, generally, the book of John is a book of signs that are written to point us in the direction of Jesus. You might remember going back to John chapter 2. If you were here uh, earlier in the fall, we we, we read the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. Pastor Shane preached on that one. You, You might remember that. And at the end of that story, it said, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You may have noticed just a minute ago when we had our scripture reading that right at the end of our passage, it said this. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, listen, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But when you start to see first sign, second sign, these things coming up like, oh, there's a pattern here. I should probably pay attention. What are these signs put in place? Now, John... The author of the Gospel of John, at the end of the book, he says, chapter 20, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. We find in the Gospel of John there are seven signs that are explicitly given. There's there's lots more that Jesus did, but these ones are written so that you may, what is the word, Sound City? Believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is why John wrote this book. It's why he wrote this gospel, that you might believe. That's the general reason why I'm talking about belief and faith and sources of truth. But the more specific reason that I'm bringing it up is because it's right here in this story today. Jesus is performing this sign. He's healing the official son. We're going to unpack it together in a minute, but you're going to see that there's a bit of a conflict, that, that, that Jesus has some words of correction, even words of rebuke, because the faith and the belief that he's seeing is not the type of faith and the type of belief that he is wanting. And so that's our big idea for today. That the only appropriate response to Jesus is faith, but not all faith is the same. That's what we're going to see today. The only response, when, when, when we really see Jesus, when we see the signs, when we see his death, his resurrection, the only thing we can do is believe and have faith in him. But not all faith is the same. So keep that idea in mind as we dig into this story. Pick up with me in verse 43, if you will. Now, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Stop. You're like, Pastor Aaron, it's going to take forever to get through at this pace. I know, but let's, let's remind ourselves where we just came from. The, the passage that we just left off, Jesus was in, uh, visiting with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So he's in Samaria this, is, this was a social outcast. Uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along, but he went into the Samaritan town. He visited with the woman at the well. He shared God's love with her. He talked to her about the nature of God. She believed she had lived a very promiscuous lifestyle. Jesus ministered uh, grace and truth to her. She ran into town and said, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. The whole town comes out and like revival breaks out, Right? Many people believed in Jesus. They're repenting of their sins and trusting in him. And they begged him to stay. We want you to stay for two days. And so he stays. But after those two days, after this revival breaks out, he's going to head back to his home region of Galilee. But there's this interesting comment made here. So he's leaving Samaria, departing for Galilee. Verse 44, But Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Think about this. I mean, we're only four chapters in. Things are going to get even much worse still. But so far, Jesus has been among his own people, the Jews. He's been challenged by the religious leaders. He gets confused looks from his disciples. He got opposition when he was cleansing the temple. He had Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, asking ignorant questions. How am I supposed to climb back inside my mother's womb and be born again? He had John the baptizer's disciples being suspicious of him. And then there were people that Jesus didn't entrust himself to because they just weren't safe. Jesus has had a lot of opposition and we're barely four chapters in. Meanwhile, he goes to Samaria, the place where the quote unquote dogs are from and the revival breaks out. (laughs) So here Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm I'm trying to talk about God's love. I'm trying to talk about his plan for salvation. I get no honor among even my own people. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, this is interesting too. This is weird back and forth. The Galileans welcomed him. Well, wait a minute. I thought you just said he gets no honor. Well, they welcomed him. Why? Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. When Jesus cleansed the the temple, when Jesus maybe did some of these other miracles and other signs, they're like, oh yeah, the party's come to town. Let's welcome him. For they too had gone to the feast. You gotta see there's there's a tension here. There's a welcoming, but it's not the kind of welcome that Jesus is looking for. Think about that. Hold that in your mind as we keep going. Verse 48. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. He's back in the same city where that first miracle, that first sign had taken place. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Okay, two cities, Cana, Capernaum, Seattle, Tacoma, right? Like, uh, actually, any guesses about how far apart Cana and Capernaum are? Anybody know? Three miles? That'd be a, that's a reasonable guess. Uh, if you flew, it'd be 16 miles, but I looked it up on Google Maps. You can walk between those two cities about 25 miles. So, 25 miles away in the city of Capernaum, there's an official whose son is ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. That's a big commitment. Amen? Anybody here ever walked 25 miles not at Disneyland? Okay. (laughs) Some of you have maybe run a marathon. That doesn't count, because you're strange. He, (laughs) when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Do you do you think there may be some desperation here? My son is ill. Near the point of death, I'm going to walk 25 miles to go because I heard about this guy who can do miracles. I heard that he was a prophet and he was powerful and maybe if he could just come, he would, he would heal my son and my son would not die. Verse 48, now this is interesting. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe two things about that first of all jesus is offering some pushback unless you see signs and what you you don't believe because of the word i'm speaking you only want to believe when you, see the, when you see the smoke and the, and the fireworks and the signs. The other thing that's interesting about this is, in, in English, it just says you. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But in Greek, it's the second person plural. It's, it's y'all. Unless y'all believe, y'all won't. I mean, Jesus is from Texas, apparently, here. But he's, he's speaking to the town in general. One other translation says, you know, you, what do I have to do? Will you only believe if I show you miracles and signs? Won't believe the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's the Logos. He's the Word. People are missing the Word and just focusing on the signs. I remember being, um, when I was in high school, it was the first time I, I ever started playing in bands. I played in, in rock bands in high school and through college. And now I'm too old. I can't. But I would used to. And we would, ha- we would make posters. We'd hang up these flyers so that people would come see our band play at whatever high school gym we were playing in or whatever. I would hang up those signs, those posters, and, and it, would, it almost kind of makes me think of like, you know, Jesus is doing these signs, not so that people would stop and admire the signs, but so they would believe in him. It'd be almost like if I was hanging up posters for the show and people walked up to the show and like, cool poster. I'm like, yeah, but come to the show. And they're like, no, nah, just the poster. I love the poster. That would be frustrating, right? Jesus is frustrated in this moment. I'm, I'm putting up these signs, but what I want is your faith. I want you to understand who I am. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He begs of Jesus. Do you sense that desperation? And have you ever been desperate? One of your children, a loved one, just in a place of desperation? Jesus said to him, this is so, this is rich. This is amazing. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. Okay, now, in this moment, remember, remember, 25 miles. Oh, you want me, you want me just to go? I'll, go I'll, just, I'll, I'll just walk back 25 miles, nine hours, 10 hours of walking? Sure, I'll just go. But if it doesn't work, you want me, you want me to just walk back and let you know and then we, then we can go? Oh, what are we doing here, Jesus? Jesus said, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Walking for 25 miles. Do you think at any point the man maybe had like a, wait a minute, are you sure? I, I know he said, mm, maybe I should stop off in a different town. Maybe I, could, maybe I could go look for the town doctor or some other prophet. No, he went, he went. That's the most important verse in this whole passage. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He had to go all in. He had to go all in. As he was going down, I love this. This is a beautiful moment of God's grace. As he was going down, his servants met him. So they could see him coming. So they go sprinting. Now, again, how do you feel? I'm walking back. I can see my town. Oh no, my servants are running at me. Uh, It's probably not a good thing, right? The servants came out and told him that his son was recovering. Ah, it's good news. So he asked them. His, His spidey senses were tingling. (laughs) what was the hour when he began to get better? What time was it when he started, when the fever broke and he started to get better? And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, that's one o'clock in the afternoon, 1 p.m., the fever left him and the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, no duh. Oh, he, uh, he believed deep in faith, but I love this. It's not just that he himself believed. He, he got everybody in on the action and all his household. He's a royal official. He's probably got a big family. He's probably got servants, people that live with him, people that work for him. They're all in on Jesus. He's like that, um, you know, the, the kind of the stereotypical, annoying, brand new Christian who just will not shut up about meeting Jesus. I love it. You're all gonna believe. Now, this was the second sign That Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. That's our story. Let's let's unpack this a little bit for a few minutes together. Listen, we can see in this story that what I said at the beginning, that not all faith is equivalent. And I want to highlight for you briefly five different aspects of faith, five different stages of faith that we can see in this passage. And the first one is simply this. The first one is false faith we do have to reckon with the fact that there is such a thing as false faith. I don't know that we explicitly see it in this story. I think we do because of the people in the town who are welcoming him, but they don't really believe in him. I know that we're going to see false faith explicitly uh, in the weeks and months ahead as, as people get confronted with more and more challenging teachings of Jesus. There is such a thing as false faith. It was a problem back then, and if I could be so bold, it is still a problem to today. Today, where people know about Jesus, people have heard about Jesus, they have an admiration for Jesus, they like the fact that he stood up against injustice, they like the fact that he cared for the poor, they like the fact that he fed the hungry, they like the fact that he welcomed the outcast, which is all true, which is all beautiful, but he came to be more than just a good example or an inspirational figure, Jesus came to die in our place for our sins and to rise again to offer us new life in Christ Jesus. I would offer to you this thought that as Americans, some of us are in a place of extreme danger of false faith because we have a more or less Judeo-Christian heritage as a nation, but not all faith is true faith. We can almost be inoculized to faith. There are people who check Christian on the census form because, well, no, I'm not Hindu, I'm not Muslim, I'm not an atheist, so I guess I'm a Christian because I went to church when I was a kid. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying things like deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. He who wants to keep his life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will keep it. Jesus does not want fans or admirers. He wants devoted disciples. Amen? And so I say this to you, if you're someone who is, who is struggling with this concept. I, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to belittle you. I just want you to know, don't accept a substitute. You don't, you don't have genuine love for Jesus. You don't obey the things that the Bible says. Well, you might have uh, an inoculation, a false type of faith. It sounds so strange. Sometimes I've had to convince people that they're not Christians before then inviting them to become Christians. I belabor this point at least a little bit because just being raised in the church, I've seen this time and time again. There's another stage of faith, which is pre-faith. And again, we see little little elements of this in the story. People are interested. They're seeking. They're desiring. It's actually, it's funny. um, Ashley, who was up here a minute ago talking about the financial peace class that we're doing, uh, she became a Christian at Sound City a few years ago. And I remember having conversations with her in that pre-faith stage. It's a beautiful thing. It's 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 asking it's seeking it's questioning if you are here And you've got questions and you've got fears and you've got doubts and you're trying to piece this together. Who is Jesus and what the heck is up with the Bible and the Old Testament and the New? And you're trying to wrestle through it. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. We hope that Sound City is a safe place for you to ask those questions. And I mean this for me and I hope it's true for other Christians you interact with. You cannot offend me with Dumb questions or rude questions, I get it. We worship a guy who was crucified, and then we claim that he came back from the dead on the third day. I know that sounds insane. Come talk to me about it. Come talk to others about it. We love to invite you into conversation, in that place of interest and seeking. We also see infant faith i 'm calling it infant faith here, and we see this most clearly from the father, from the royal official. Infants. Anybody, have you ever, you ever been around an infant? Are they not the most selfish people that you know? Just always, when was the last time an infant was like, hey, can I help you with anything? Like, nah, like never. Not once in the history of infants has that ever happened. They're like, feed me, change me, clothe me, protect me, love me. It's just demanding, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing, right? If someone stays in that position forever, you have some concerns, right? But, but similarly, when we, come to, when we come to faith in Jesus, we come like infants, we want, we need, we want to soak it up. People, I love being around people in that infant, newborn Christian phase because they're like, why did anybody tell me this? And I got to read everything and I need to read the whole Bible and I got to do it next week and I need every other book that there is about Jesus. I'm like, not every book. Some of them are terrible, don't read them. But yeah, let's talk about it and let's meet and let's learn about who Jesus is. If you have not been around a new Christian, a young, infant, hungry Christian recently, you are missing out. Go lead somebody to Jesus if for no other reason than you get excited being around that infant Christian. It's joyful. It's, it is delightful. But there's this wanting and this needing. I think you see that from the royal official. Please, will you come and just heal my son? But when Jesus says to him, go, your son will be well, this man has an opportunity to now grow from infant faith into a more childlike, a maturing faith. He had a choice, Right? Go, go, your son will be well. He could have said, no, I ain't gonna do it. I need you to come with me or I need to find a doctor. I need to find a different faith healer or something. Jesus said, no, I want you to go. I want you to trust me and I want you to obey. I had a conversation with one of my kids over the weekend. I was cooking food. I had pans going. I love to cook on the weekends. And, and I had hot stove and all things going. And one of my kids came, can I help? Can I just like right in the middle of something? If I try to stop, and I do like to let my kids help, sometimes. But when I was, if I stopped right now in the moment, I'm like going to ruin the food. I'm going to burn. I was like, honey, I just need you to go out of the kitchen right now. Well, why? Why can't I help you? I'm like, I just need you to trust me and to obey and to head out. And I'm happy to report the kids stink and did it. God is real. It's amazing. I'm like so proud of my kid. They, they, it was just a wonderful moment of just this trusting and obeying. And sometimes our faith is like that with God, that God I'm just not seeing the big picture right now. I really wish you'd come do the miracle. I wish you'd go with me to heal. Them. I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey. And then, third, or fifthly, I should say, not third, fifth, uh, we see the, the, the last stage, this mature faith. He gets home. The son's been made well. He's all in. He's got confidence. He's got assurance. And I love that we see that his whole household believe because I believe that mature faith is a sharing faith. If your faith is confident and assured but only for yourself and you never share it with anyone, I don't know that you're really that confident and assured. Mature faith. Now, there are some dangers to watch out for in each one of these stages. In each one of these stages, there's some pitfalls we need to watch out for. The the false faith, obviously, is the largest danger of all, meaning there's no salvation. There's no salvation in being an admirer of Jesus from afar he's calling you to discipleship he's calling you to follow him now the good news about false faith is it can be repented of and it can be turned away from and you can find genuine faith in Jesus i actually think we see that in the life of nicodemus nicodemus was confused and thought he was a follower of god all these things and jesus has to set him straight at the end of the book of john we're going to see nicodemus again and he's he's helping take care of the body of just good there's some, there's, some, there's some real faith that comes there, but, but false faith is a huge danger because there's no salvation. And not only eternal life f- forever in, in, in eternity with God, but the blessing of knowing him and knowing his people and knowing his truth and here and now. The danger for that pre-faith stage is just always seeking, always questioning, always asking, always wrestling, and never just committing how long have you and your uh, fiance been engaged oh like 9 years like dude get on get on with it already i'm just we're just trying to make sure it's right well if you don't know now that is a real danger it's a good thing to ask it's a good thing to seek it's a good thing to investigate but sometimes you know you're just you're signing up for one free trial after another and eventually it's like you know put your credit card information in and get the membership already <laughs> Some of you are in that place and and you've been wrestling, and there's an invitation today from Jesus get off the fence. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Know His grace in your life, not just intellectually, but experientially. Know that God is good. The danger with infant faith is becoming selfish and demanding. Right? Like, it's totally appropriate for an infant to be selfish. They're weak. They need to be fed. They need to eat like every 20 minutes. I don't need to eat every 20 minutes, but I want to eat every 20 minutes. It's a character flaw, but it's appropriate for a child, an infant, to say, I need to eat all the time, right? But there's a danger of getting stuck there and becoming selfish and demanding. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, uh, said these words about this type of faith. He says, there's much excellence in it, in this type of faith, because it makes you pray, but there is some fault in it, because it makes you imprudently prescribe to the Almighty how he shall bless you. It makes you, in effect, to impugn his sovereignty and leads you ignorantly to dictate to him in what form the promised boon shall come. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know if I've dictated the form of the promised boon shall come. Like, they spoke differently in the 1800s, okay? I get that. Have you ever been selfish towards God? God, here's how you're going to bless me. Here's how you're going to meet my needs. Here's how you're going to meet my expectations. You ever been there with your faith? The danger with child faith, with that trusting and obeying, is is such a good thing. But if we're not careful, we could proverbially check our brains at the door and and not really wrestle and mature and learn and grow. It's, oh, you know, it's it's kind of the, it's kind of the the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. No, I do believe the Bible says it, and that's good, and I want to trust the Bible, and I want to obey, God also invites us to wrestle, study, to show thyself approved. Uh, uh, in, In the book of Acts, it talks about this one group of people in a city called Berea, where the word came to them. It says they searched the scriptures, and they wrestled through it to make sure that what was being told to them was true. We as Christians are called to trust and obey and to have faith in Jesus, but it's never an ignorant blind faith. Amen? So the heart of obedience, a heart of trust says God, I, I trust you. I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Will you help me grow and mature as I wrestle through in these areas? And then the last one, mature faith. And you're like, well, how could, how could having mature faith be dangerous? Well, we could become so mature and so confident that we become prideful and smug and superior and self-confident. And we look down on the faith of someone else that maybe is a little bit weaker. You see this like in the book of Romans where, where Paul says, you know, um, shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like I'm just so secure in my faith and so confident and mature in my faith. I'm just gonna, just gonna just do whatever. Like no, by no means. We need to keep that hunger of an infant. We need to keep that trust of the childlike faith and we need to be confident and sharing and mature in our faith, but never smug or self-satisfied. Amen? It doesn't matter. if you, Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And your faith can still be very immature. Now, I need you to hear me on this. Listen, as I I point these out, my hope and my prayer is that each and every single one of you are experiencing some conviction somewhere. Why would I hope that? Why would I want you to feel bad today? Well, raise your hand if your faith is all the way perfect. None of us can say that. We all have areas to grow, but see, the conviction of the Spirit comes in and says, yeah, here's here's areas of immaturity, here's areas of weakness, here's areas where you need to grow. And then God's commitment is, I'm going to walk with you and grow you. I had a great question after the first service. Somebody came up to me and asked, you know, how how do we do this? How is it like, is God doing this work in us? Are are we growing and maturing in our faith? It's a great question. And, and 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 I responded, I said, listen, The book of Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, it's not about how much faith we can just dig down deep and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and I gotta have more faith. If you have faith like a tiny little mustard seed, Jesus said, but it's in the right source, it doesn't matter if if your your, your plug-in cord is really small. If you're plugged into the source of all power, it's gonna be okay. It's not about the great strength of your faith. It's about the great strength of the source of our faith whose name is Jesus Christ. So let me, let me show you what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as God is doing this. He's, he's doing it. He's growing us. He's maturing us. He's shaping us. We have an opportunity to participate or to resist. That's where, that's where we come in. So let me just use briefly three examples that might be helpful for you. I'll start with the example of money gets quiet whenever we talk about money, right? I had a conversation with someone, mature believer, follower of Jesus, someone who's, uh, you know, in a a retired stage of life, older than myself. And we were talking about tithing. And he was talking about how early on uh, learning some of those biblical principles about money. And like, you know, somebody says like, you know, tithing, like really a tithe, a tenth. You want me to give a tenth of my money to the church? To the, to, to the church? To, the, to God? You want me to give a tenth of it away? And, and he said he, he had to learn in, in growing that my wife and I have joked, like, man, what do non-Christians do with all that extra money that they have? Like, when you make that commitment to just give and to tithe, it can be a painful thing. Now, someone who's in an infant stage in their faith in this area, they're going to have this inward look. Like, well, I need to receive. I need people to help me. I need to get more money. I can't give yet. I, I just need to get. But then they come to an opportunity where Jesus says, go. And you have a, well, okay, 25 miles? Really, I'm just gonna go? $2,500, really? Well, I'm gonna just go? And you have an opportunity to grow in that faith. I was talking with this gentleman. He says he's been tithing for years, giving for years, and it is, You should. I wish you could see the joy and the smile on his face. In fact, maybe sometime we'll, we'll have him up here and he can say it himself, because he said you know, the more that he's been able to give, give to the church, give to the needs of the poor, give to others, he's, he's just seen God show up time and time and time and time again, provide for the needs, bring the blessing. But there was that step of obedience where he had to go in, he had to go all in, go from infant faith to childlike faith. And now in this area, I would say he's got mature faith where he sees the goodness of God and the faithfulness, God, faithfulness of God in this area. What about in your marriage? For those of you who are married, you know that marriage... It's a beautiful and a wonderful thing, but it also has its challenges. Don't say amen too loudly, but yeah, marriage has some challenges. I love doing weddings. Uh, Actually, Kyle, one of our staff members, our our student and kids leader, he is out of state right now performing his very first wedding. I'm proud of the guy. He couldn't even do it in the state of Washington. He was too embarrassed. He had to go to Texas to do his wedding. Some friends he's gotten, and I I love doing weddings, but the thing is, (laughs) sorry for all you newlyweds, you're very selfish early on in your marriage. I'm in this marriage because I like what you have. I like what you give to me. I like the way you make me feel. I like spending time with you. I'm in this marriage because I like what I get from you. You complete me, right? But then the longer you go, the more you realize, actually, they kind of don't complete me. And... And I've been like trying to meet all my emotional needs and they're just kind of letting me down. And then I got I don't know. I might need to look elsewhere. I might need to, I don't, you know. And then you have this moment where your faith, Jesus says, I want you to love them and serve them and be in this marriage, not for what you can get from them, but for what you can do. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. And you have an opportunity to go from immature infant faith to maturing, growing, childlike faith. Well, God, it's 25 miles. I mean, 25 years. you want me to oh, it's a, i got to go all in, really? Like, oh, if I make it 25 years, and God says, "I want you to obey me." And then you see some of those couples who've made it 30, 40, 50 years. And the ones who are truthful, the ones who are walking with Jesus, yeah, it's not always been easy, but it has been beautiful. And there's this assurance of faith. One more example. What about when you go through hard times and suffering? Sickness, illness, financial distress, sickness. What if your son is sick? I need Jesus to show up and do a miracle now so that I can believe. And and Jesus says, what if you just believed and trusted that when I said I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you? What, What if you believed and trusted that when I said that the glories that are to be revealed in eternity are so far beyond what you can even imagine that our light and momentary afflictions won't even seem worth comparing to them. What if you actually believe me on that? You're like, well, Jesus, do I, how long do I have to walk this? 25, 25 years do I have to walk this out? And Jesus says, yeah, trust me, follow me, obey me, go all in. Friends, it is not about our great faith. It is about Jesus, the source of our great faith. How is he calling you to grow? How is he calling you to mature? For those of you who are not yet believers in Christ, today is the day of salvation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When I pray here in a moment, I invite you to trust in Jesus. Say, I'm getting off the fence. I'm not gonna just keep seeking, keep investigating. I've seen, and I want to see more. For those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, how does he want you to grow in your faith, your trust in him? Has he been good? Has he been good to you? Has he been good to people that you know? Has he he laid down his life and died and risen again that we might have God's grace? Yes, all that and so much more. Friends, will you pray with me now? And I wanna invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal to you where it is that he's inviting you to grow. God, I ask that you would help us right now to lower our walls of defense. God, anywhere that we need our faith to grow and to mature, and I'm sure there are many places. God, would you, in your loving gentleness, bring that conviction and that correction that we need right now? And God, would you give us hope to see, it's not about us just drumming up more faith within ourselves, but it's about placing our faith in the right source and participating with you as you're seeking to grow us. God, I ask now as we enter into this time of worship and response that you would help us to respond with with faith, not admiration from a distance, but fully devoted belief and following you with all that we've got. We love you, Jesus, and we know that our love for you is nothing in comparison to your love for us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' good name, amen. Friends, we're gonna have an opportunity to worship and to respond now uh, in, in a few different ways. The first way we're gonna worship and respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. I'll invite the financial stewards to collect the offering. If you're a guest or a visitor, please know there's no obligation to give. Uh, We don't want that to be awkward or weird for you. We want to simply invite all who call upon the name of Jesus, but particularly those who call Sound City home to support uh, the work of the ministry through financial giving as an act of worship. 2 Corinthians 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful. So smile. Smile. As the uh, younger students class comes in to join us for this time of worship and response, let me read some uh, discussion questions and and prayer points, things that we can be wrestling uh, with this week in our community groups and in our homes. Number one, in in what ways is Jesus without honor among his own people today? Number two, is your faith deepening or maybe are you stuck somewhere? Number three, what steps of obedience might you need to take to experience that deepening of your faith. And then number four, is your faith a sharing faith? Man, I love that in the story, especially as we're focusing on on, on greater evangelism and just fruitfulness in that area this year. Is your faith a sharing faith? How can we help one another grow in this critical area? A couple things to pray about as well. Pray that as disciples our faith would always be deepening and then pray that our church would be known for sharing our faith in gracious and winsome and even creative ways. They're gonna hand out the elements for communion here. We'll hold on to those. The musicians will will come and, and will lead us in a time of singing and you'll have a minute to just prayerfully reflect and let God speak to your heart before we celebrate the Lord's table. But let me read from 1 Corinthians 11 to remind us of what it is that we're celebrating here at the table. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, let me remind you that in this celebration, though it is a a simple, meager meal, simple elements, that here Jesus wants to meet with us, that here we receive his grace, and here our faith is strengthened, that Jesus died for us. Let us proclaim the Lord's death until the day he comes. And here's where we're invited to reflect. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that simply means in an unexamined way, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I invite you to just hold and to wait for a minute to prayerfully ask God, where is it that I need to grow? Where is it that I need my faith to to deepen and to mature? And then when you're ready, eat and drink, and the musicians will invite you to stand and we'll sing together of the Lord's great love and mercy for us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood. And God, we thank you that we are saved not by our heroic moral efforts, but we are saved by placing our faith in the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. As we eat of this bread, as we drink of this cup now, God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. You would deepen our faith. As we lift our voices to you to sing, I pray that you would encourage our faith and you would uh, fan our, our faith into great flames so that we would mature and that we would share it with others. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you and we praise you now. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.